0: Welcome to Linux Link Radio by Timesys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers who want to simplify and speed up their custom platform development. Visit timesys.com today for access to our podcast archives. Hi, uh, welcome to Linux Link Radio. We're going to be talking today about uh, device drivers. And so we have a, a, a nice episode planned out here. I'm Gene Sally and I'm here with uh, Maciej.
1: Hi. So this episode is going to be actually, to some extent, a continuation of the topics that we covered, not during the last podcast, but two podcast episodes prior to the last one, yeah. where, where we talked primarily about uh, what you would need to do to port the Linux kernel to a custom device, adding yeah. a new device driver is, is kind of next step, right? Because when you're done porting all the stuff that you had from a reference platform to to a to your custom hardware, there might be a need for a new device driver. Sure. Yeah, it's typical. Those tasks, tasks sort of go hand in hand, you know, especially folks
0: that are working on really custom equipment. That's usually the next thing they dig into after they get the kernel up and running for whatever basic equipment happens, happens to be on the board.
1: Yeah, there are actually a couple of solutions out there that allow you to um, control the hardware design also at the hardware level. I know that some of the FPGAs allow you to control the uh, what devices you include in the hardware. So as you as you go through a, through an approach like that, writing or adding a new device driver might be a must.
0: Oh, that's a really good point. I know we have a greater number of people that are that are interested in using those, F, I don't like to use acronyms, yet, field programmable gate arrays. They're popular among the kids these days. Good, I know, good memory. <laughs> yeah, well, don't even have to write that down. Usually I make a cheat sheet of the acronym so I don't sound too clueless. Well, I know like Vertex, uh, yeah. the, like we have the Vertex 4. And I think that's what we're fiddling with. I know when we
1: when we prepared for this. <laughs> yeah, we, we played <laughs> you know, with like, some of the device drivers on yeah. uh, Vertex four yeah. x platform. Yep. Yeah,
0: so that's that's what we use like for our for our point of reference. You just got the like the tool because I know I think I think the way that's programmed is for a I think, but it was for a four oh five is how it was set up yes uh, the the one that we because I just I, I know that you set your own up but I'm just I'm, I'm the laziest man on Facebook I just went and grabbed our stuff and installed yeah. I think you did it the real man way
1: yeah we have actually the uh, one of the Not reference me. platforms from uh, Xilinx I think ML405 and that's, that's, what, like a, that's what we used for for some of the exercises in preparation for this for this podcast yeah. um, and we used I, I think Linux Link for the Vertex 4FX
0: oh yeah well yeah, I, I did because everything else requires actual work. But anyway, so... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so uh, device driver, ma- making device drivers. So what we... I'm going to let you do most of the time because, you know, my experimentation with device drivers is new world because I'm, I'm user land guy in this, well, this whole thing.
1: And there is, of course, a connection between a user land and the uh, a device driver because you are putting in place a device driver so that your application can take advantage of it, right? If you have, a, I don't know, a graphics card or, or a printer connected on a parallel port, there's a device driver, but there's yeah. of course an application that mm-hmm. operates that from a user st- user standpoint, right? So, what we'll do is we'll cover both sides, hopefully, yeah. um, time permitting, of course. So, uh, what is a device driver? Oh,
0: is is that? I, oh, that was that wasn't a rhetorical question. Uh, so, well, no, oh, no, let no, explore. Uh, so, yeah, so it's just it's a bit of code, right? That um that is typically linked into the kernel at well, not typically. You can link into the kernel at runtime or at um a compile time of the kernel that's associated with a certain device. Mm-hmm. Okay. And whenever you perform, uh, so, and so it's associated with a device, which represents itself typically as a file in the mm-hmm. file system. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you open up this file on the file system, you can begin doing things like requesting a read or requesting a write to this particular system. And the kernel goes through and does kernel magic, which I know you'll talk about for me, it's all mm-hmm. kernel magic mm-hmm. and does kernel magic and then invokes a function inside of your, driver code that actually does whatever work is necessary. Yeah, yeah. And if you have something to, to if you, someone does a read, they'll send you a, a request and you'll get this, a function will be called. And I know we'll go into more detail about that, but you get function will be called and say, hey, well, someone's
1: so, requesting a read of you. So, so let's take as an example a parallel port perhaps. And with parallel port, you can control different devices with parallel port because you really control different signals, right? And device driver allows you to really raise and lower electrical signals on a, on a parallel port. The first, well, so th- there's actually a structure, or if you will, an interface to each device driver. You have to define a number of different functions in your device driver when you begin. And that framework allows you to... Oh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm
0: kicking everything. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, be careful. It wasn't excitement or anything. I'm trying I to just shift around. They just wanted to quiet
1: me down. Well, they <laughs> we spent like,
0: like $4 on our table here. So if you, if you even like touch it or whatever else, it's terrible. That's no, not that bad. Oh, $6 or whatever. Okay,
1: let's go back to got our for like got goodwill. <laughs> Anyway. So when you write a device driver, you have to first identify type of a device driver that you want to write, right? And there are different types. Again, there's a, a block device driver. There's yeah. a character device driver. There's, right. I think, a network type of device driver. Oh, yeah. But for the block device driver and character device driver, to communicate with those devices, you can use a special file that's associated with that device driver, right? And we've talked just shortly before recording this podcast about the differences between block device driver and character device driver. Mm. How am I supposed to remember those? So let's talk about block device driver and, <laughs> no, and the differences. Okay?
0: No, the, the key difference. I mean, the key difference between the two is like one is designed for sequential access, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, which is a character driver, and the other is devi- designed for. If you look just between block and character, right? So block has the concept of seeking and moving and working around some offset from from the file, and, and a character device driver is you read a byte, you write a byte. It's yeah. sequential in nature, right? Um, so and that's so, really the big division
1: between the two. So the block device driver provides a random access to a yep. chunk of memory that's allocated to that device. And you can just copy uh, the data from user land and the driver can communicate with applications through those files. So with a character device, the char- when I hear a character device name, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that I think of is, okay, so I'm transmitting one character at a time. And uh, th- that's not the case, right? Because what, what happens is, well, you can you can transmit a whole bunch of characters at a time. Sure, yeah. But because of the definition that one is sequential, the other one is random in nature. Yeah. I mean that, one that, is character, yeah, is block.
0: The, Yeah, those are really the behavioral things. Like the the classic character device driver to get your head around just to understand how one works is dev null, right? Write mm. characters into it, and it just says, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: so... So that's a really... I mean, if you're looking around and to, to understand exactly how they work, and you know, a little one for a sample structure, the, you know, dev null is the... Fantastic place to start looking, So, because the implementation is so simple.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's talk about the framework of a device driver. Okay. Um, that framework has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. The 2.4 Linux kernel ha- had one version of that framework. With def- the introduction of a 2.6 Linux kernel, That the framework was updated. But um, there are several functions that you have to um, implement to um, yeah. initialize the driver mm-hmm. and to properly clean up after the driver. Because there's one way in which you can work with a device driver, which, which is a loadable kernel module, which mm-hmm. allows you to dynamically insert a device driver into a running kernel yeah. and remove the driver from the running kernel in a, in a very clean fashion, right? So yeah. to ensure, ensure a, a proper initialization and the proper cleanup of a device driver, there are several functions. There is a, a function called, I think, module init, yeah, and a separate function called module exit. Mm-hmm. They both take as a parameter a single parameter, a name of a function that's responsible for doing the actual work. Yes, right. Yep. So, so you can name your functions any any way you like, mm-hmm. but you have to pass the names of the functions into the module init and module well, exit. Well, te- well,
0: technically, right, you're passing a pointer to the function.
1: Yeah. Right. It's not. Python no
0: more, right? So it's not PHP. You <laughs> spent I mean, too much time with those oh, languages. Yeah, they've poisoned me, haven't they? But no, you know, you know what I mean. I mean, in the code, though, when you write it, right, you write the code and say you're, you're getting a pointer to a function, and then, well, you know, from a coding perspective, you just write the function's name, which, if not invoked, is a pointer to the function. Mm-hmm. If I remember my C way back when. The other really thing you got to, um, other really uh, really important thing you have to uh, make sure is you populate a data structure, and the data structure contains the pointers to the rest of the functions used by the, by the module mm-hmm. uh, that gets, and you can call these, the functions, whatever you want. I know a lot of people call them read, write control, because in this particular, in this data structure, they're called read, write and control. So it just makes your your life easier. Uh, but the same thing, you have a bunch of pointers to functions inside this data structure so that when the kernel, when you have, when you've opened a device driver and the kernel wants to perform not a kernel, but s- some users performed a read operation and the kernel has a lookup and says, oh, okay, it's this particular device driver. I go to this function in order to accomplish that, and here's what I need to do in order to make the call happen.
1: Uh, well, that's how that happens. Yes. And, and so besides that structure, and, and as you said, that structure is, is going to define different operations that end users can perform on a file. Mm-hmm. But besides that structure, you have to also initialize the device driver. And uh, like in this case, because we're dealing with parallel port, it, it would be a character device. And for each character device, you um, have to define a, a magic major and minor numbers. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah so, yeah. so let's talk about those I'm sorry, I did breeze past numbers. that for
0: a second. Yeah,
1: well, it's, uh, it's, it's a way for a Linux kernel to differentiate between device drivers when you, when you do a file operation, right? Yeah. So the, the, the functions that you've just mentioned, like read, write, open, close on a file, they have to be performed on a specific, specific device and, and appropriate device driver has to respond. Otherwise you're going to, yeah. you're going to think that from your, from within your application, you control the parallel port, but on the other hand, something else is going to yeah. flip. Well, I mean, the curious
0: thing, right? So if you go out and do a, you know, ls, few ls uh, slash dev slash no, do ls l on dev null, you'll see dev null is the name, whatever. And then it'll have a major or minor number, which I probably should remember, but I, I, I can't. I always seem to forget that. And you know if you go create you know slash you know home whatever your home directory is fubarbaz and so, you know do a make node right which and that creates this device and it creates a file in the file system that in essence points to a device uh, that just is a it's like a carrier for the major or minor number of a of a device driver you can call that device whatever you want and lo and behold the code inside of dev null will get invoked because that's the major or minor number that's been assigned to it so the name is more there for the convenience of the user. And the major or minor numbers are what the operating system uses to identify which code to run. Uh,
1: Right. So in a neat function inside a device driver, what you would do is you would build that association into a device driver. You would would specify what the major number is, and then you would specify what the file name is associated with that device uh, driver. Um, That file name is going to look for that file under slash dev subdirectory, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where you said the make node function comes in handy. And and there are different ways of populating that uh, subdirectory. Yeah. But let's talk about major and minor numbers. Still, Uh, major number allows the uh, Linux kernel to identify a specific driver. The minor number allows the. It's actually passed onto the device driver itself. And allows the driver to uh, behave in a somewhat intelligent way. In other words, it can drive the selection of the execution path.
0: Yeah, it's just a it's it's a uh, it's a crude versioning system, is how I look at it. Right. Um, you well, can distribute yeah. one, one set of code, and you can get different be- different results out of different, exactly. different minor numbers. So, so if one, you go that route. yeah,
1: right. So one binary uh, driver can mm-hmm. actually serve multiple chipsets. Sure. And each chipset, for example, might require a different initialization. Mm-hmm. And to tell the uh, the kernel which uh, initialization path to take, you would create a, a device node with a specific minor number, right so yeah. that that way the appropriate path inside the device driver would be executed for initialization. yeah, so we have um, it out of our way, and so we talked about initialization and exiting yeah there's also another macro that uh, you should define in, in your device driver that that tells everybody what is the licensing that you apply. To your device driver whether you inherit uh, your design from any open source work or well still permitted but you can you can keep the device driver uh, implementation to yourself if you if you choose to do that you, when you when you uh, define a device driver there's there's a function called what is it called gene is it is it oh, i can't remember you're, you're the expert at this much. I, I can never keep track of this sort of stuff. I think it's module license. Yeah, it is. And then in parentheses, you can uh, specify whether it's uh, a GPL, uh, dual license, or some extent, proprietary. Mm-hmm. And uh, based on that definition, when you insert that device driver into the Linux kernel, the, the insertion is going to go clean, or you will see a message that the Linux kernel is tainted. Do right. yeah. you remember that message? Yeah,
0: uh, I'll, I'll reserve my comment on that.
1: <laughs> okay, but well, nevertheless, that module license is is uh, one of the macros that it's good to have defined. There are different uh, functions at the user level mm-hmm. when the driver is inserted that would tell end user what a, what a, what is the licensing scheme that applies to that particular device driver. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, and I know the chances of getting your module accepted into the open source community if it's not GPL is something close to zero. Um, it's like, you know, the any license other than GPL is the same as saying your module is cooties or something, and yeah. from that point on, it won't get accepted, and it's even kind of funny, like some, and this, I'm not sure if it's as prevalent these days, but if you have a Problem with a kernel oopsing or whatever, it'll come back with its with the t- with the tainted bit set, and you won't get any help because it's a pr- proprietary module. And no, 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 no. So, well, but on the other hand, if you want to keep some of the right. code to yourself, you still can. Definitely your business. It's yeah. just like I said, you have your module of cooties if you do that.
1: Yeah. Again, to inside an initialization function, what you do is you call a function called register chr dev. Mm-hmm. character device, and you pass on the major number and name of the file. That way, your device driver has that association in place, and um, you can communicate from within user land. Now, the second step is to, de- to define what those different functions that you define in that initial structure for that file will be doing, right? When you write to, uh, to that file from a user land, what is it that mm-hmm. the device driver is supposed to do with the data that, that uh, shows up in that file? You know, we sort of skipped over. Sorry? You know what we sort of skipped over? What did we skip it's, it's, over? It's
0: probably even worth you know getting three sentences on, and that is in tree versus out of tree source code placement. I know we're, we're gonna talking about this, you know, make sure you do the right thing, but but you know, the way 2.6 is set up, right, it basically expects to do have you do most of your driver work in in the Linux tree, so to speak. Um, and doesn't really support that sort of out of tree development. because uh, before you could reasonably with the, you know you could reasonably, I'm making quotes my figures, reasonably create a module that existed sort of outside the Linux tree. And then you could do a build, and you could point it where the next kernel was, and it would get the symbols from there. And and nowadays, right? If you're doing device driver development, this is this is what I've experimented with, right? You can do device driver. The, the, the expected model for doing device driver development is, you know, you put your create a directory in the correct system, right? You create your make file with a few extra pointers to it.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if I d if I agree with you, Gene, on that, because um you can still you can still fairly easily, I think, cross-compile a, a device driver outside of a Linux kernel source even tree. Even on two six. Yeah, even on two six. You you basically specify the subdirectory of the Linux kernel where where you keep the your driver. Yeah. And, and uh, you specify what is where your Linux kernel source tree lives. And okay, I couldn't get that one. It it can, it can actually find the right uh, include files, yeah. well, header files and linkages uh, when you build your driver. It, it it has changed, I think, between the two four and two six, just like a uh, framework for the device driver, though.
0: Ah, okay. Because you know, for all matters, it's, it's you know, we're sort of clipping along, yeah. saying, but you know, we sort of just pass by. It's like, well, when it comes time to compile your device driver, you you need a make file, right? Uh, it defines yeah. what the what the input files are and
1: and otherwise fits into the tree. And it actually takes up a bit more time to integrate a device driver into a Linux kernel tree. I mean, it's it's a one-time effort, yeah. but uh, nevertheless, if if you're just trying to see if a specific device driver is going to do what you want, yeah. might not be worth it, you know, spending all that time and trying to integrate a device driver with the Linux kernel tree. Because then you you have to um, – there are so, several other things that you have to do to um, integrate that driver properly into into that kernel tree. Okay. Sorry. No, no, no. That, that, because one one thing that actually we should talk about is that there are device drivers that you can build as a loadable kernel modules. Yeah. There are device drivers that have to be built into the Linux kernel, and again, end users control that process. Mm-hmm. You can specify whether your your driver can be built as a outside of the Linux kernel, meaning as a loadable kernel module, or that it has to be always built as part of a Main Linux kernel compilation process oh, okay, but uh, let's go back to our discussion on a parallel port and we we talked about the initialization process, yeah what you have to do from a licensing standpoint we've mentioned all the functions that you define inside that structure that tells the driver, what are the operations permitted on the file. Okay. Uh, should we talk about in a bit more detail what each of those functions or one at least one of those functions like a read function would do?
0: Yeah, let's, well let's just talk about read because I don't I okay. think I think once you establish a pattern read you know read becomes just like read except well it's the other direction, right?
1: So so uh, what happens uh, when you when you call read on let's say a device file, right, in a device driver? Okay.
0: So what happens is out in user land right uh-huh. out in New someone says f open some you know slash dev slash Mache's greatest parallel printer driver ever <laughs> right is it, is it, you to call it that okay and so all right, right. Mace and jeans uh greatest no, no, parallel it, port ever it's all yours it's entire, <laughs> entirely your printer driver i know you don't like parallel ports but no okay. i don't it's anyway so you open that you open that file handle so at this point yeah. you have a, a, a file descriptor right and actually, at this point, Linux has called into that device driver and said, hey, someone's attempting an open. Okay, mm-hmm. Do you need to do anything to attempt this open? Yeah. It also maintains a data structure that says, okay, this, for the for a particular process, there's a great big chain of these. It's always for a process, right? So there's a big chain that says, hey, this person has a file handle opening against this device. And when it did the open, it, it also got sort of smart and went through and said, okay, here's the major number. And based on the major number, there's a table that says, aha, here's the... Here's the data structure that contains the the offsets mm-hmm. you where know, to of call, and it keeps a little cache of that. And so then, what happens when you go ahead and do your write? So say you write a byte to this thing, right? Yeah. So at that point, the system will say, "Hey, you're writing to a file handle." It'll go from the file handle and it looks across to its cache and says, "Aha! In this data structure, I need to call this function because it already has the right pointer to the function call." Mm-hmm. Sets up a call on the stack with oh, and at that point takes the takes the pointer to the memory out there in user land, and then puts that on the on the stack. Mm-hmm. I think if you, I think, oh no, no, it definitely puts the minor number on there too. Yeah, and then calls into your function,
1: right? And, and then there's also a system call involved. Yes, right. Yeah. So I guess that's the way you you pass the control over to a, to a that's kernel, it. yes, and kernel can execute the device driver code. Now, in many cases, well, one fact is you can't you can't simply pass any data from user land. To the Linux kernel land, other than through um, those device files.
0: Yeah, because in there, there's there's device there's exactly because what you do is is in, inside there you do a copy from user or copy to user function right. because remember you guys are operating on well not you guys yeah uh, these these things are operating on two completely different address spaces right exactly so the address space that the if you get a pointer from a user land address space it makes positively no sense, right? Because at the kernel there's no memory management concept. There's the number because a pointer is just a number that points somewhere in memory. That needs to be translated to the page it happens to be really occupying in physical memory and so on. So there's like a copy to, well copy from user in this case function.
1: there's copy from user and copy to user, right? And that happens Inside the function, inside the device driver that's responsible for handling that uh, Absolutely. File. Yeah, that's entirely your problem is yeah. to, to do the fetch out of user land. So uh, inside the device driver, let's say under parallel port uh, read or write, you would call… It's Mate's um, greatest
0: parallel printer driver ever.
1: Okay. Uh, it's a long name though. Copy to or from user space. Yeah. And when you do that, you can then pass on the data on a wire… Right? Because now you, you are within the Linux kernel space. You have the data that uh, your application passed on. And so you can either control a behavior of a device that you have attached on the parallel port. It mm-hmm. can be also an I.O. to some extent, right? Just a raising and, and lowering a, a voltage on one of the pins. Sure. So uh, you can, binary in a binary fashion, control on and off switch through a parallel port this way.
0: Yeah, I mean I guess the if you have a character device that's set up, you could be sending in a bit mask, right? And then yeah. whatever bit happens to be set, uh you could turn on a particular you could you could raise yeah. I think they call it raise in the in the great big electronic world. You could raise one of the one of the signals on one of the pins, right?
1: Right, right. right. I I know a couple uh, guys that I know have used a power port to uh, control some of the the entire all lights in the house and they were fortunate enough to have all the light switches in one box. They reworked their box and attached it to a power port and they were able to control the, the behavior remotely, um, which involves also additional application and user-like bit. Nonetheless, the uh, power port could pot- potentially uh, allow you to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I think that that's that's pretty much uh, what we wanted to cover at the uh, device driver. Yeah, I, you think, know, I eh? did. You're waving uh, your pencil. I on did. Me, I so. didn't have. To, right, so
0: one of the things we we sort of left out of this whole thing is the fact that hey, device driver land, there's no libc. Right? you remember, This is this, is, right, this right. is the you know the I I know I'm the uh, user land wussy man. Whatever. But there's no libc in in kernel. Right. <laughs> And that's really the thing to watch. It. Like, so a lot of the, the functions you would typically see for in C, like printf, right? They've been mm-hmm. reimplemented. Mm-hmm. So there's like k print and there's kmalloc for, for yeah. malloc, and so a lot of the functions aren't the same. Right? Um, they're slightly different. It's like Canada functions, right? Everything's just slightly different from the other function, right? So, well, um, you just stick a k in front of them
1: somewhere. I think what you're getting at is that with a device driver, it's no different than with the Linux kernel. Once you insert a device driver into a kernel. It becomes an integral part of the Linux kernel, and hence can use the same set of definitions yeah. and macros that kernel internals are using.
0: Mm-hmm. And more precisely, can't use anything else other than those. Yes. Right. There's right. there's no other. I mean, the idea of using a shared library in the kernel yeah. is just no, doesn't exist. It's like yeah. red wine, you know, yeah. red wine and fish for God's sake. So <laughs> it's really something you got to have your your head around. And you, know, the other thing too that I thought was really that was fascinating too is that there's no memory protection. Yeah. Okay. Because it doesn't have the memory management unit running, you can gladly write all over the place and sometimes your mistakes aren't found until later <laughs> um,
1: and if you're lucky they're not
0: found until much later but no I mean seriously I know, uh, I know. In, in my experimentation with sort of stuff you can do bad things right and, and uh, like also- for example
1: disable all interrupts yeah <laughs> sure uh, that, that's one of the uh, uh, major problems for um, the systems that are that want to perform in a certain way from a real time standpoint in, a, in the old days a lot of implementations bad implementations of device drivers were simply Simply disabling all the device—I'm uh, sorry—all the interrupts in the system, just to do one task, right? And, and when you do that, well, forget about handling the traffic on on your TCP/IP connection because yeah. it's, it's not going to happen. Well, that's a good thing you point that out too,
0: because the other thing you need to have your head screwed on right for is endianness issues. Mm. There's a whole set of macros that deal with endianness, but you can't make assumptions about the endianness of the platform you're running on. Endianness is whether it's most significant bits first or last. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I, I know that as you brought that up. It made me think of it for uh, TCP/IP protocol. Right, there are functions that say, "Hey, swap around the endianess of this so yeah. that it runs as a proper endian for my platform yeah. based upon the standard." I think, I think TCP/IP is little endian. I believe, yeah. I believe. So everything goes over the little endian. But you still, there's there's the equivalent of routines that say, "Translate this from little endian to my host." And from my host, a little Indian, and beginning and back and forth. Yeah. So, if you do things that you care about, what order your bits are in, you need to be cognizant of that. Otherwise, you'll get some really interesting bugs whenever you try to run your your code on a different yeah. platform.
1: One last topic before we end up this episode is different ways in which you can create device nodes. There's, of course, a manual way by simply calling a uh, make node, right? Uh-huh. And that's when the uh, Linux kernel is already up, and you want to add manually different files that are missing so that's where you would use make node you would specify what you want to add a block or character device you would specify major and minor number for okay. that device which you can find through proc however there are other options you can build a static device table that you keep in your in your root file system permanently you can also use a dynamic approach with UDEF, for example to yeah. populate dynamically the Slash dev subdirectory. Yeah, so. but I
0: mean, let's, I mean, I know a lot of embedded folks. They start out with udev because mm. it's, it's the laziest way to get your thing. But in, for most production systems, people will, d- will create them actually in their target in their file system. Like like JFS2, I know has a uh, you can pass it a little file on the side right. with the device nodes that you want it to create, and it'll make them for you.
1: Well, the reason is udev takes time, and oh, an yeah. embedded system. What counts is how fast the Linux kernel can boot up on a card, right? And unless you have all the device nodes present, none of the devices are going to be available to applications. So applications cannot start. So having a static uh, device nodes absolutely makes sense in Mm -hmm. a a small embedded systems.
0: Oh, and I guess the other thing I wanted to mention too is that, let's say you're working on your device driver and you want it to be, you're going to license it under GPL and you want to make sure it gets out there. There's some great coding style information out there. Uh, If you go to the documentation directory, look at the coding style file. And there are some very particular instructions as to the right way to format your your C file. Because if you add it in for a patch and it doesn't match, you know, coding standards, it's acceptance. And yeah. you hate to have something that works that that gets you caught up. You have
1: to rewrite. Advice yeah, because the <laughs> tabs
0: are wrong and everything else. Like you yeah. know how that works. Absolutely. And I know they're nice enough because they went through there, but they're nice enough to to make sure they have a like a little um a little list script for those people that use the uh, Emacs editor. Um, Of course, I think VI does the right thing out of the box, right? Yeah, you know, if you if you need to set up VX so that it properly, I'm sorry, if you need to set up Emacs so that it properly uh, edits your file, you know, set puts sorry tab spacing and all other things. they do have uh, uh, a little scriptlet for that.
1: Again, where you can find all that?
0: That's in documentation slash coding style capital c capital s it's inside the linux
1: kernel source tree yeah it's right in there under documentation coding styles
0: yeah and there's it's really cool i mean the there's a lot of comments in there you can tell it was written by people that did c and you know they suggested you know simple things like hey don't inline everything you know inlining does not increase performance in all cases because some people believe that inlining really does and and while you're at it, you know, don't call it, you know, Machi's greatest printer driver ever, you know, use sane names. You answered my question. Yeah, and, you know, stuff like that, and, you know, don't put too many comments in. So a lot of the coding style comments are, uh, I I know I'm getting told to, to be quiet from the marketing podcast ZAR guy that's too bad but ZAR guy <laughs> um, ZAR guy but I mean it's still important because you put that effort yeah. into you want to get it accepted and you hate to have your job be you know run set a thousand times to fix all your problems you you
1: know what? I think that uh, this podcast is very interesting if uh, there are any other other questions that you our listeners have around writing how to write the device driver or any of the aspects of writing the device driver that we've raised uh, during today's um, episode Please, please do let us know. You can email us at podcast at com. You can visit us at www.timeshiz.com. And we are getting uh quite a few emails these days with comments and questions and suggestions and I would like to use that opportunity and thank you very much for listening to us and for for sharing with us all your thoughts yeah
0: we get some great we get some great email in and uh, we said we we do a, i i know we read all of them and we and I know we attempt to reply to all of them in a timely manner even the hate mail hmm. so um, you know, please feel free. Questions, comments.
1: That one goes uh, only radio. to you. <laughs> well,
0: it is, it, you know, it is usually directed at me, actually. So, but that, that's okay. No, no, no. Um, yeah, well, so yeah, write in uh, uh, podcast uh, podcast at uh, timesys, uh, timesys.com, dot com, or you can visit us. I think linuxlinkradio.com. I think yeah, that's all that's working really
1: too. URL. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.
0: This podcast was brought to you by TimeSys. Are you new to Embedded Linux? Looking for a way to simplify your next project? The Linux Link service by TimeSys makes it easy to build your custom Embedded Linux platform. Go to TimeSys.com today or call 866-392-4897 to learn more.